0: Everyone, hi, hello. It's me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Stephanie Whittles Walks, author of Everything Is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragic comic memoir of genius, heroine, love, and loss. It's about her brother, Harris Whittles, who was on my show years ago, who died of an overdose three years ago. Yes. Now. Um, and the book is so, I just finished it this morning. It is so beautiful, so well written, so vivid. at the beginning, I kept crying, and I was reading it after my son was already asleep, and I was like i I wanted to go get him up out of the crib to hold him, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through reading this book because I'm bursting into tears so frequently, but then I got to a it's it was weird how it sort of shifted. I got to a point where I remember literally thinking, I don't want this to ever end. <laughs> and I think it's because I got, it was like, oh, I just, I just enjoy being in the presence of your thoughts. Oh, wow.
1: Maybe you're the first person that's ever said that. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. Thank you.
0: So you live in Houston. It's true. Um, but you're out here right now promoting the book. Yes. And you had a big benefit show last night, mm-hmm. right? How, yes. Tell me about that. How was that?
1: It was great. We did a show at UCB, Sunset. Uh, I came out here a few weeks ago to record the audiobook. And we had a dinner at that time. And I sat next to Mike Schur, who was the showrunner of Parks. He's like, you're going to be in LA and you're not going to do a UCB thing? You got to do a UCB <laughs> thing. So I emailed Sarah Silverman and said, Do you want to do this? And she's like, yeah, totally. And she emailed Susan Hale at UCB and they threw it all together. And it was amazing. And all the proceeds are going to go to Harris's scholarship fund Mm -hmm. at our alma mater, the High School for Performing and Visual Arts. Uh, Yeah, it was heartwarming. And they showed these videos that I'd never seen. One of them was Harris saying that he could shoot a three-pointer against some basketball star. Harris had a lot of like, I can do anything (laughs) stuff about him. Like Dave was, Dave King was telling a story about how he said he could have written the score for social media, uh, the Facebook movie. What was that? Social network. Social network. (laughs) Didn't Trent Reznor write the score? I think so. And it was like a bunch of dings and, and whatever. He's like, (laughs) I could have done that. Um, So (laughs) they showed this video of him like failing miserably at shooting (laughs) three, three pointers, but then like being like, yeah, I could still totally do it, you know? um so it was really fun to see that uh they showed his last one of his last stand-up sets which was a showcase for the tonight show mm-hmm. um so we had some never seen before footage which was cool that's exciting and then just being in the presence of his people are it is always a uh, really great for me i just feel like it's you know there's a lot of tragedy and pain wrapped up in all of this and my goal last night was to do something on the wonderful side that was more related to how he lived his life and not how it ended Mm -hmm. and that was definitely accomplished it was great (laughs) so three years out now
0: how are how are you feeling great
1: I feel terrific. Like I've never been better. <laughs> you're also, we should let people know you are very pregnant. Very pregnant. Although not pregnant enough that it's going <laughs> to end anytime, right. like soon.
0: You're kind of actually, well, I was going to say you're at the middle, but that would
1: be a cruel thing to say. You're not at the middle. You're no. past the middle. I'm at the cusp of the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baby's coming in May, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm like on that third trimester line right about to cross over like i think this is the last week i can travel mm-hmm. um so i i found out i was pregnant and i told my husband obviously and then i told my publisher because <laughs> i was like i'm not gonna be able to. like they had the release date in april right i was like i can't do anything then um okay so how am i um aside from being large <laughs> and uncomfortable um i this is like such a loaded question. Like, So since Harris died, and I wrote the book, and then I edited the book, and then I've been promoting the book, my whole life has been wrapped up in thinking about ruminating on Harris. I mean, I have been like, just totally consumed with with him mm-hmm. for three years. And my feelings have changed. I mean, it's not as I'm not like gutted by it anymore. It's not like I'm I'm weeping uncontrollably like I was when I was writing the book um, the year after he died. But he's definitely at the forefront of everything that I'm doing. Um, he, this whole thing has changed me in ways that I just like, really aren't in the book because those things came after that story ends. Right. Like the story kind of ends at a year. And what happened at the end of the book? Well, I I don't know if oh, it's not like I'm giving it away. He died. You guys know that. But what happened is like I realized that we are here for a very short time. Like this very cliched thing happened to me, where I was in a pit of despair, and I was like, "There's no point in living. I I just want to die." Mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt you know like, consumed by the worst things ever. And then that shifted into going like, oh, we're all going to die. I can do whatever I want. Nothing matters. This is so great. And all of my anxiety, which I had so much of for so long, it's like that kind of went away. Mm-hmm. My my fear about taking risks, my f- my fear about anything really, just kind of vanished. And I felt invincible in this way. Like, I felt motivated to live better than I was. And so that's been a really shockingly positive thing that's happened. So I quit my job. I did all these things that I never would have done. Um, And so I feel like in that way, as a person, as a human being, I think I'm better Mm -hmm. than I was before. But It's like so bittersweet because I don't have my brother. So it's like everything's been motivated by him. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, it's never going to be awesome. Do you, what were you like before this, this,
0: um, like awareness or liberation?
1: I mean, always like pretty cynical, like Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty pessimistic. Like, I wouldn't say I have an optimistic outlook on things anymore, because how could you Mm -hmm. in this in this world? But I know I was always like pretty neurotic and like anxiety ridden and fretting about things that weren't real that I made up.
0: In the book, I guess Harris refers to it as future tripping. Yes. Which I love that term. I do that all the it. time. It's like, it, that's all I do. Literally, that was all I did. Yeah. So
1: future tripping is like worrying about the future, worrying about everything that's not happening right now. You know, just like, and I could have had a degree in it. I mean, <laughs> I was so good at it. I, to complicate matters, like I have a daughter who was born with a hearing loss and. When she was born, um, I just lost my mind. I mean, I was just so consumed with future tripping about Mm -hmm. how terrible her life was going to be. And I had like made up all of these stories in my head about how hard it would be for her and how much she would suffer. And Harris, just like he came over and just cut right through it. And I will never forget what he said to me. He was like, you are putting your shit on her. Like, stop putting your shit on her. You're fucked up about this. She's not. She is a baby. She literally has no cares in the world. (laughs) She just wants to be a chill baby. She's just (laughs) a chill baby. Like, you're the one that's messed up. She's not. This will be normal for her. It's not normal to you. You're going to have to get over your stuff. You know? And I was like, fuck, you're so smart. You know? Like, that's so true. But that's kind of the essence of future tripping is like, She's just born and I'm thinking about when she's 25, Mm -hmm. you know, which is just like ridiculous. And that stuff takes up a lot of energy, mental energy that you could be spending doing other stuff. So I did a lot of that. Um, I was a theater teacher. I did that for a long time. I did that for 10 years, but I didn't ever really want to do that. Mm -hmm. I just was you. You initially wanted to act, right? I went to school for acting and directing. Yeah. And I and I do like for 12 years I I do cartoon voices. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of that stuff and I, you know, I do some of that stuff, but I never like really wanted to do it. I just was like, I don't want to fight these people. <laughs> this is, like seems hard. You know, like <laughs> I was just like New York is stressing me out. I'm going to go home and, you know, I just didn't want to be competitive in it. I didn't want I didn't want to contend, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but do you, cause what I was going to say is, but I feel like that's
0: actually a strong decision to make if you're like this, I'm not cut out for this. This is not what I want. Or was it a fear-based? fear based? Okay. All fear.
1: I was so driven by fear. That is like, exi- like everything was driven by some sort of fear or anxiety or worry or yeah. yeah, totally. And I, and I joke now, I'm like the more shitty things that happen to me, the less that stuff mattered. It's like, it's like shitty things are curing me of my fear because what I'm realizing is that the fear is about control. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I can't control anything. Well, now that I just have accepted that I can't control it, like I know I can't control anything. It's not like I'm afraid of that. I realize I have no control. Like, my daughter's going to be having this thing that I can't control. My brother had this addiction I couldn't help. He's now gone. I mean, there's things that keep happening that I I can try to make not happen. But ultimately, what's going to happen is going to happen. So I hate that. Oh, God. I know. Well, and that's the thing. I think I just spend less time hating it now. Mm -hmm. Like, I just accept that that's the way the world is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually trying to control all the stuff you can't control is just a recipe for being unhappy all the time. Always S- disappointed. Right. So we, what you're doing is living in reality, which is supposed to be good.
1: Yeah. Living in reality that I accept is chaotic. And, you know, if I can like be like, I don't know. I literally, I don't know what's coming next. Even with this book thing, like I wrote the book. Now it's out. I'm here doing stuff that I never thought I would do related to this book. You were on Seth Meyers? Like what? <laughs> I mean, like that's just so weird and crazy. I was on a Weekend NPR Weekend Edition. I'm like I listened to that show <laughs> with all these amazing people. I'm just like I'm in a twilight zone right now. You know, it's it's so bizarre and and like I didn't train to be an author but that's the thing that's like happening right now, mm-hmm. you know? I just feel like every whatever's going to happen. So the, happen. the book, did you write it in real time? Yes.
0: That's crazy and um wow, because as I was reading it I was thinking, but how do, I was thinking that's amazing that you can remember how you felt a month out, 2 months out, 3 months. So you were doing it. So can you talk about about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um That is all in real time. I, so I guess the first chapters, the first month probably was not in real time because I truly was like catatonic Mm -hmm. in the first month. But after the first month, um, I have had a one year old, as you know. Do you have a car here? Do you? you, I do. Okay. So my daughter would only sleep in the car. That was the only place she would sleep. She was a terrible baby. I mean, she was one of those babies that, like, should have made me not ever get pregnant again. You know, like, she was colicky. She just... We we had a mold infestation. Oh, right. We had to move out of our house when she was a month old. It was, like, such a nightmare. We were dealing with all the medical stuff with the hearing. I mean, it was, like, it was the worst time.
0: And even if you... I'm convinced. Even if you have like the best baby in the world, it's impossible at the beginning.
1: Totally, because you're just—it's so crazy. It's, it's so, you're so awful. Sleepy. Yeah, you're just tired. When you're that tired, it's—it's it's, you're you're a maniac. Um,
0: so, Jeff, you wouldn't understand. He loves when people with babies tell him what it's like.
2: Listen, I have two cats and a Roomba. <laughs> I understand what it's like.
1: That sounds high <laughs> pressure. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm glad you have a Roomba, though. It it's, seems like. Necessary with the two cats.
2: It's a lot of mouths (laughs) to (laughs) feed.
1: All right. I guess you do get it. (laughs) You get it. You get it. Totally. Um, Yeah. So I was like driving this kid around all day and sitting in the car for three hours and just like tripping out about how depressed and terrible my life was. And, you know, just crying and feeling very victimized Mm -hmm. in the beginning. I just remember feeling so victimized like none of this is fair why is this happening to me it w- it was really intense that mm-hmm. sensation and I was so angry too I was just pissed I was really mad at Harris and um mad at Harris I was mad at Harris for for dying
0: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> sorry I yeah yeah wow. I was so in <laughs> I was so in the like driving around with your baby thinking <laughs> yeah. about the hearing loss that I forgot the timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: So anyway, so I would be stuck in the car and stuck with these thoughts and there's only so much you can like refresh Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. which also was just a landmine for me right after he died. I didn't even want to be on it because I just saw everyone else being happy. And then I was like, fuck all of you. You know, that was terrible. You hate everyone after mm. after a terrible thing happens to you. Um, So I started writing some stuff down and I would write all of these thoughts down on my iPhone notes app. And there was just so much of it. And my husband was like, why don't you... Make that an essay and then put it on the internet, and I was like, "That's crazy. <laughs> Why nobody's ever done that before?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, "What an idea!" <laughs> um, so I did, and that was therapeutic. It it wasn't didn't make me feel better. Nothing made me feel better. It was, yeah, therapeutic is the only way. Cathartic. Mm-hmm. It was it was a way to help me process. You know. There wasn't enough therapy in the world to deal with what I was dealing with. So, Were you going to therapy? For sure. Yeah. I was like – but I would just like go to therapy and just cry mm-hmm. and then – it's just an hour. What are you going to get done in an hour? Right. I mean I had 23 other hours in the day where I was insane. <laughs> it was just like I needed to put it somewhere. So the writing became a place for me to put it and – um I I had an agent reach out to me after I wrote that essay and she was like, do you want to make this a book? And I said, I don't know how to write a book. And she said, that doesn't matter. I used to be an editor. I can help you. You know, this is no pressure. If you have a book by the end of the year, great. If you don't, no big deal. And I really liked her. She had two small children she owned her own company it was all women run I don't know she just was like very chill Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like she was like scamming me or I just felt like comfortable with her right and so it ended up being this really fruitful outlet and I wrote hours every day I would just write I would put my kid to bed and then I would write I didn't talk to my husband for like a year. At the end of the year, I was like, oh my God, you're still here. I liked you uh, at one point. You know, Like, nice to see you again. You know, he was great and, you know, waited patiently for me to kind of get out of the coma mm-hmm. that I was in. And, um, you know, but I don't think I would be where I am now without having written the book. It does feel like a diary, though, that people are now holding, you mm-hmm. know? It feels like... What's well, interesting, you say um,
0: at the end that you are uh, a concern you have
1: is painting Harris in a negative light. Yeah, and I really don't think you did though. <sighs> Thank you for saying that. I, I I I really am happy to hear that. I was terrified about that, but the thing is, is that addiction is is ugly. I mean, he was not. In the best place. Mm-hmm. He he died. I mean, you know, I I told the truth. And it's, it's tr- the truth isn't always pretty. You know, like, but it's true. It's not always pretty. <laughs> like,
0: that's what I've heard about it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the deal with the truth. Yeah. That's like Bethany Frankel. She
1: tells it like it is. She, you might not want
0: to hear it. But, but she's going to tell that's you. That's right. It's not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel very much like Bethany Frankel. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially physically right now, you know, very fit, very Mm -hmm. in shape. Wiry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think now that I've had some distance from it um, and I've gotten some feedback, I don't feel that as heavily. But in the beginning, it was just me Mm -hmm. with the book, and I didn't know how people were going to respond to it. I wasn't thinking about people. Right, right.
0: I imagine as well, I'm now going to just go off into uh, armchair psychiatrist land, which I have no right to do, Uh, but I do it anyway. I would imagine, too, your feelings towards him were so big and you had so much love and anger that that would sort of like distort And you wouldn't want other people to also have that depth of anger towards him. So that might like get in the way of you being able to tell how he's coming
1: off. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was great armchair psychiatry. Thank you. I thought that was that's right on. Yeah. I mean, I was like in it. And, and, And the other thing that was so strange is like when I went back to edit the book months after, I was not angry with him. Mm hmm. And I, I had a very different feeling about some of the things that I had written. Like what? Just a lot of my um, stuff about how he was ruining things. Mm. And I realized that... Like ruining his opportunity
0: with Master of None? Like that kind of stuff? Yeah, ruining
1: or- stuff for him, ruining stuff for our family, mm-hmm. ruining holidays, ruining... Well, he told you a few days before your wedding that he was yeah. an addict. Yeah, yeah what the fuck yeah (laughs) i mean it's crazy that is not something that he would usually do you know like it was just like weird timing super weird timing um i don't know why he did that (laughs) i think it's because he was an addict Mm -hmm. and he did stuff that was not cool did you
0: um So I had him on my show in 2013, and he and I talked about his recreational drug use. And he actually said that, like a quote from that is, I want to become the post. I hope to become something like I want to become the poster child for like healthy recreational drug use. And I was just asking some questions, just pushing back a little bit of like, how, how, like is it really possible, you know? Um, But he was saying, he was really painting it like he just takes pills and it's just recreational it's not getting in the way of of work or anything he doesn't do it you know socially it's just to go to sleep um when did he come on your show let me look it up i know it was 2013 um i just oh here we go it was january it the second it was there were two parts the second part aired
1: january 23rd 2013 so he called me in march of that year. Okay. So he might have thought it was still recreational in January. I think he did. I think he <laughs> did think so. And and that's another thing that I talk about in the book. We both took drugs. We did them together. I mean, growing up, you know, we were really close. We, you know, I, I did a lot of drugs when I was younger. And I stopped when I became a, an adult. You know what I mean? Like it, I pulled back on it and he didn't um what drugs did you do you know we smoked weed like every kid does we did mushrooms and acid and we, you know the hallucinogen mm. the fun stuff <laughs> um nothing like too heavy you know but like i don't know we grew up in the same house I think I I have to think there's some genetic component to what Harris had, you know. How come one kid turns out that way and the other doesn't? I don't I don't know.
0: Well that's what I was was gonna ask. Looking back, were there signs
1: that he had an addictive personality earlier? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. He he was like the king of overindulgence. I mean His personality was like, go hard, Mm -hmm. you know, in everything that he did. He, if you ever ate a meal with him, it was like ordering was a marathon. (laughs) I mean, he would order everything on a menu. He would, he just was a um, pleasure seeker. Mm -hmm. You know, he just had a very hedonistic (laughs) lease on life. He did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it he had very little care for risks mm-hmm. or or rules or boundaries you know he really was um i don't know there was a, there was an excess sort of nature to him
0: right but what do you think he was
1: looking to escape something this is the thing you know we we or like is it just a disease or all, or both. I mean, something people are saying when they're reading the book is like your family is so normal, you know? Like you guys seem like a great family. And Harris would say he would go to therapy and they'd be like what happened when you were a child? Mm-hmm. And he's like nothing. I had a great childhood. My parents are great. We all got along. We liked each other a lot. <laughs> you know, like so I I don't I don't know, but I think just his natural disposition coupled with probably the pressure of being 22 and mm-hmm. so successful and yeah he was discovered at 22 yeah. by sarah silverman i mean from 22 to 30 he accomplished insane amounts of stuff he, he was so busy mm-hmm. so i think he did mean to slow down his brain his brain was a I, like he just didn't think like anybody else i mean he just was constantly working it was he he always had his iphone in front of his face like writing down notes and making observations and writing new jokes and you know he just never stopped i just don't think he ever shut down Mm -hmm. and so i think he probably needed an escape maybe from his mind right i think he probably had some depression that we all have i mean my family you know like we all have some amount of psychological mm-hmm. spilkus, <laughs> um craziness. So I, I don't know. I, I think. Um, and then I think there's the issue of when you take an opiate, you're you become dependent on it. The, that part is chemical. Mm-hmm. There's all these statistics you can look up that I'm not going to try to pretend like I know, but. You're on opiates for x, y and z number of days, and you need them right so, and he
0: initially took them for back pain yeah right? he had he
1: had this back. he had a lot of back he had a i don't know why he was a young guy, but he had back pain, and he was prescribed oxy, wow, I mean like seriously, like I have to have another c section like i you could i could be cut open bleeding out, and I would not take that stuff. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> It seems like the worst right. drug on the face of the planet.
0: I'm surprised. they. I, I feel like now they don't. Now yeah. they'd be like, here's some Advil.
1: Well, I read on Twitter today they're developing a heroin vaccine. To prevent you from being overdosed. To, to prevent wow. To prevent an overdose. That's yeah, crazy. I know. They've done all these clinical trials with animals, and I think it's going to be ready for, for humans soon. Wow. But... So I I don't know. I know that he didn't want to be a drug addict. He really didn't. He tried. He totally tried. He went to, to rehab three times.
0: But then I was surprised um to read surprised is the wrong word. I was uh I know, kind of g- gutted almost to read that he had turned down that sh- was it Vivitrol? Is that what yeah. it's called? Um I didn't even know that exists. So there's no. a shot that you can be given that um, blocks the like receptors so that you have a physical inability to get high. Yep. And at one of his rehabs, or the last sober living, the, was it the sober living facility? Mm-hmm. He turned it down three times, which yep. you think meant that he still wanted
1: to get high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That part sucks. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to be like, why don't you just take the shot? You know, it's just like, so obvious if you're not a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Well, I
0: I have a really addictive personality. Um never done heroin, thankfully. Um don't start. I don't intend to. I would recommend not starting. Yeah, I I've, I've heard mixed <laughs> things, but in general it feels like not a good thing. Um but I can understand that like I just want to do this thing one more time
1: thing. And that is the thing that kills people. Yeah. That's exactly what they told us. My mom and I went to the rehab that he was at, the last one, and we talked to his therapist there. And the guy said, the just one more time mentality is the thing that kills most addicts. Mm -hmm. They get sober. They feel great. They feel like they're in control again. They're, you know, they're back in their minds and their bodies. And they're like, I'll just do this. I'll just do this one time. And then that's what kills them.
0: Right. Do you um, do this is an, an insensitive question that I imagine you've thought about a lot. <laughs> Did he just do too much of it? Was it too strong? Like, do you have a sense of what caused that overdose? I have no idea.
1: I wish I knew, but I have no idea. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I'll never know. There are things that I will never know that the the
0: seeking answers and the trying to like crack this case I related to that so strongly in so many different things in my life where it's just like everyone else is like this is what happened and I'm like no I need to do my own research and go back and like it other people think it's sort of crazy I don't know if people thought what people thought about it probably more understandable in your
1: situation doing it but I'm very much that that way too I don't think people knew what I was doing because I just don't think I was really communicating at the mm-hmm. time. I mean, I was just like in my own people. I think people were just like, oh God, <laughs> stay away from her. Like, she's nuts. Um, I like had a card, you know, for a while. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I call it the manic investigative phase. Mm-hmm. And it is so strong. It is this need to make sense of what is senseless. And I had so many questions, and I wanted to know if I could have helped more, or what happened, or how did it happen, or was I missing something? Did I did I not pick up on something that I should have? Should I have done things differently? I mean, you're just like swamped, you know. Once, once you kind of like get over the initial um, grief, that that first wave of grief, which Mm -hmm. just i you know there's just no i i can't i can't even speak about it i mean i i wrote about it but i but it's hard to talk about and verbalize it's just it's just crippling it's just totally totally the worst thing i've ever experienced Mm -hmm. and um once i got past that phase i'm a doer like I, i need to do things even if i'm like crazy i Mm -hmm. need to do something which is why i think the book is here because i needed to do something (laughs) in my in my grief but this next phase with this was this investigative thing where i was Mm -hmm. like what happened i need to read everything i need to look at all the emails i need to look at the journals i need to look at the text messages i have to crack this case and put it together i was like deranged detective Mm -hmm. um i mean i just looked at every single crevice on his phone you know what i mean it's just like trying to find answers to something that really i just don't think i'm ever gonna have an answer for right like he i say it in the book like he it was a senseless tragedy he, he died because he was an addict <laughs> unfortunately it is it is that simple
0: when he switched from opiates to heroin mm. did did you you knew because he told you right yeah But looking back,
1: were there signs that things had changed? Um, Yes. We went on a vacation. He had gone to the first rehab and then got out. He went when my daughter was one month old. He went into rehab, got out a month later. So that was March, end of March. We had this plan to take a family vacation in June, I believe, or July. And he was a mess on that trip. He was just a mess. He I just I was just like, "Oh god, he's just not he's not okay." I knew just looking at him for mm-hmm. one second that he wasn't okay. I, I mean, I could tell Excuse me. I could tell, you know, when I would see him on parks cuz he played the animal control guy. I could tell by his eyes, when he was using, mm. what did it look like? <laughs> he just has he just there's this um this look it, it's it's like the level of of shadow under his eye. It's like a i it, it's the way his eyelids look, it's very weird. It's just you know, when you just know somebody right. like so well. I just could tell, you know, and, and, and this trip, it felt like, okay, he is, he is so messed up right now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think, oh, he's on heroin because you don't ever want to think that because the second that I thought that my next thought was he's going to die. Like, I mean, I, it's like, it's bringing tears to my eyes now, like the second I realized that's what was going on, I was like, my brother's going to die. Mm-hmm. Because I, I knew when he was like doing the opiates, like, okay, this is dangerous. But there's something about <laughs> the heroin thing where you just know the chances of him coming back from that are so slim. Yeah. You really don't hear about recovering heroin addicts. It's very unusual, sadly. And that's where a lot of my anger came in. Because I was like, why did you take that step? Mm -hmm. Why did you make that transition? We had friends. I mean, I had a friend who passed away when he was 25 of a heroin overdose who Harris grew up with. We We both grew up with this guy. We had several friends from growing up who had struggled with this. You know, it's not like it was something that we were unfamiliar with. So... Yeah, that was a devastating moment.
0: Why do you think he if you have any ideas switched? Because it or was cheaper. To,
1: yeah. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. He you know, I he told me at one point that his business manager was like, um there's like seventy thousand dollars that are unaccounted for. <sighs> wow. So do you wanna Tell me what's going on, or how do you want me to allocate this money? So I think it was easier for him to hide if it was being purchased on Skid Row. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't spending $4,000 a month on it. Right. So he had you – he wanted you to keep it a secret mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Terrible so terrible i was also pregnant you know i just gotten married i got pregnant really soon after i got married so i was <laughs> like i tell my husband and i like i have the greatest husband i feel like he's the only one that looks good in the book truly <laughs> um iris looks good iris looks good yeah she looks good she's a baby <laughs> um you know, we got married and then like everything fell apart. You know, I, I'm just like I have the greatest marriage, seriously, because we have gone through so much shit, mm-hmm. and we still like each other. Like we can still laugh. Like you know, but truly, got married, got pregnant, drug addict brother. You know, like, and I I remember being three months pregnant and you know, you're so exhausted. The first trimester is the worst. Little, yeah. it was, it's always the worst for me. And so I was just so tired and I was so worn down and I just had to tell my parents. I just had to come out and, um, you know, Harris asked me, it was sort of a repeated theme, like please don't tell mom and dad, please don't tell mom and dad, which is how we did it when we were growing up. We mm-hmm. were a team And they were we were on one team and they were on another team and both teams got along really well. But ultimately, everyone had their separate sides of the house, you know, (laughs) like we had ours and they had theirs. And like I joke about like we were orphans and we lived with these really nice people who took care of us, you know, (laughs) but like they really left us alone and let us do what we wanted to do. Um, And I think, you know, we both were very free spirited and they nurtured that in, in a lot of really good ways. Um but i I think that that kind of sibling were in this together. I was just out of my pay grade, yeah. <laughs> I was just like um i'm I'm not like telling them like that your girlfriend's sneaking in, you know like <laughs> i'm'm I'm, like this is this could kill you. It was like this really unfair moral dilemma that I had been put in. But I didn't want to say to him like, hey, that's really fucked up of you to ask me that because I was so scared Mm -hmm. of alienating him and I didn't want to not be a sounding board and I didn't want him to lie to me and I didn't, you know, so I was really conflicted about what the best thing to do would be. I'm still conflicted. I don't know. I feel
0: like this is like the manipulative stuff that addicts do. And yet it's not done with any malice. Totally. It's just, like, there's that scene in the book where he says that you got married and had a kid and <laughs> abandoned him. I know. And I thought, I have thought so much about that. Like on the one hand, a little bit, I feel like it's an addict putting the blame on someone else. But then on the other hand, I, I go, but maybe he, I think he probably really felt, did he really, what do you, what What do you make of that? And can you give a little background on that for listeners who are like, wait, but we haven't read the
1: book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he came home the December, he died in February. He came home in December, that Christmas before. And he was detoxing, and it was the worst thing I've, I've ever seen. I I, 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 it's like completely changed my mind. I had been in this like I was so mad at him because he had um, he was supposed to come home for Thanksgiving. He canceled the day he was flying home. It was my daughter's first Thanksgiving that he was missing. My parents ended up leaving to go be with him. So he ruined my first Thanksgiving with my daughter. So it was very much about me and what I was going through and how unfair it was. And and I was just like, you are the most selfish, evil person person in the world and i really wish that i had my brother back because that guy was awesome this guy sucks (laughs) like i am so fucking sick of this guy and i want the other guy to come back (laughs) (laughs) and and i for the first time and this had been almost two years but for the first time i was like i'm not talking to him anymore like i'm done i'm done and that was something that your dad your dad had decided that earlier. Yeah, he did. He had, He had. yeah, my dad, when he found out Harris was using heroin, was done. He was done. He was like, I'm not going to have a son who's a heroin addict, which was like blah, 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 terrible. <laughs> and now my dad, t- to this day, just like hates himself for that. I mean, you oh, can really? just yeah. tell, you know, he's just so torn up about that. But so I was mad at him and I wasn't really speaking to him and He came home for Christmas and he was so sick that I realized that this is a disease. It was like the second I looked at him, I was like, oh, whoa, oh, oh my God, this has nothing to do with me. Oh, this isn't about me at all. Okay, you you have a disease. You're like a cancer patient. And then it just like snapped, Mm -hmm. you know? um or clicked or whatever and that trip he and i had this conversation this one-on-one conversation that was really rare because i had a baby and i had you know a lot of when you have a baby like you you can't focus anymore on (laughs) you're always pulled and it was just a really intense conversation where he said some things to me that were not um fair (laughs) i guess he said um you know he tried to blame me for being a drug addict in that same conversation it was pretty intense it was was pretty crazy conversation Mm -hmm. um or not blame me but he was like i resent you i resent that you're not an addict and i am and uh in that same conversation he said that i got married and had a baby and then i abandoned him and I was like, that is just so unbelievably insane. And he said, I know that, but it's a feeling. He said, I have to be honest about how I feel. And so it might not be the way that it is, but it's the way that it feels to me. And so I couldn't argue with that. I mean, and he can feel and he He could feel resentful that I wasn't an addict and he was. Do you think he
0: really did feel abandoned by you or do you think that was like a sort of in the moment
1: barfing feelings out? I think he felt really alone. Um, he told me that he didn't have anybody, that he'd burned every bridge, which was just so absolutely off base. So I think he felt really alone in general i think he felt like he was an island and that he was struggling with this thing that was so hard and that nobody really could understand mm-hmm. so i i mean and 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 he was right we probably we didn't we didn't understand um so i think it was a little bit of both i think he probably felt abandoned by everybody mm-hmm. but I was in front of him, and we have a relationship where you can say anything, and so that's what came out. Right. But I really was able to kind of file that away and not take it in. I mean, I didn't – because it was part of that trip where I just, like, realized that he was really sick. And so uh, it just suddenly became not about my feelings, but just about getting him well. Mm-hmm.
0: So he emailed me – um, let's see. He was on the show. He's on the show. What did I say January of 2013 and then May 29th of 2014, just out of the blue I got an email from him. Hey, so this is funny, I promise, and don't get serious on me, but I re-listened to our podcast where I said recreational drug use was cool and you were kind of calling me out on it and cut to three months where I just got out of rehab for opiate dependency. I'm doing fine now, but point being is you were right and I was wrong and thought you should know. Hope you're great. It's funny because I didn't even really remember that I had been calling him out on it. I was more just questioning, like, because when we were talking about it, it was like, I, me, am I'm someone with an addictive personality. I could not do what you're saying you do. Right.
1: Um, yeah, and that's the summer that he started shooting heroin.
0: The don't get serious on me, that feels very... I, I, I did not know him that well, but don't get serious on me feels very Harris from the Harris that's like
1: in this book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, there's also some really hilarious stuff in the book. I know, it sounds like
1: oh, my God, I'm gonna read this book and slip my wrists open. No,
0: no. It like the, um, the text exchange where he's asking you about it or telling you about a girl. And then he was telling you like when they met and she said her name was Kimberly. And he said, your last name's Burley. Burley? <laughs> I love that. So good.
1: He was sharp. He was sharp. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah i was saying this to somebody else the other day like there's a lot of stuff in the book that's funny because that's how we move through the world it's not like when you're grief stricken you're still funny i mean you still you still like break every now and then and make a joke and then go right back to feeling shitty right you know um and harris dealt with humor because that's how we were raised you know what was he like in school he was um you know teachers loved him he was like always very class clown guy he made average to less average in grades but he so there's an english teacher who we both had who was incredible she was a, our english teacher junior year and she was amazing her name's miss ballard and to this day she shares Harris's APSA with every oh, wow. one of her classes, and he was in her class, you know, in two thousand something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but he was v- very smart, and you know, Har- Harris never did what he d- what he didn't want to do. So in school, he had his sketch comedy group, he had his band, he he wanted to have fun, and so he did as much as he had to do to get by. Um, but like an AP essay, you know, you write in the moment and he wrote a brilliant essay. What was it about? Do you remember? It's about it was about um, I know he like included Arthur Miller in there. And um, I think it was about something with maybe McCarthyism or. Um, yeah, I. I I need to find it. Now now I want to know. Now I'm curious. Mm-hmm. But um you know, it's like in the moment, like that Kimberly thing. Mhm. He was always great in the moment. Um but everybody always loved Harris. He was always really liked, well liked and um beloved and yeah, he
0: seemed very charming and disarming.
1: Yeah, he, like, got a lot of action as a kid, you know? Like, but he was this tiny little scrawny Jewish boy, like, <laughs> he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But he was always just really funny, and girls responded to that. And, you know, he like he was just, like, this very strange player. Mm-hmm. Like, he just didn't seem like he right, should be. like a be. stealth player. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he would joke, like, you know, every girl has a 20% crush mm-hmm. on me. But they did. Like, I went to dinner... Last night with a mutual friend who went to high school to go, she was like, I wanted to marry your brother so bad. I was like, everybody did. Take a number. (laughs) You know, like he was, and I think he was like um, a challenge too because Mm -hmm. he was kind of hard to attain and, you know, but, you know, always funny, very gentle, mild-mannered kind of a guy. Although he also like could argue I mean, he could argue, oh, man, you know, (laughs) he thought he was right about everything. And he would like convince, try to convince Mm -hmm. you ad nauseum.
0: Well, I I love that he tried to convince you to like fish.
1: Yeah. I also don't get it. I mean, he had a podcast with Scott. Yeah. About convincing Scott to like fish. Like he couldn't accept that somebody wouldn't like fish. (laughs) But still to this day. I can I cannot do it. Although mm-hmm. we have named our son in utero Fluffhead, which is a, <laughs> is that a fish, fish reference? song, and my daughter was so funny. She was like, "You can't call the baby Fluffhead," <laughs> and I'm like, "I can call the baby whatever I want." You know, it's in my stomach. When you have a baby in your stomach, you get to make these decisions. So she was, like, really trying to convince me otherwise. And then at some point she just accepted, like, okay, I guess we're going to call him Fluffhead. And she told her teachers, like, my mommy's pregnant with Fluffhead. (laughs) And so her teachers are like, these people are so fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) They've named their unborn son Fluffhead.
0: In the book, you say you're going to name him Harris.
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, in Judaism, you name for the dead because we're, we're super uplifting in that way. <laughs> right. It's like... It's like
0: a, what a ray of sunshine. This is like
1: the thing. Like, you, you're literally named a dead person's name. Like, it's just... Never baffles me. <laughs> the, the Jewish way of life. Um, So, you can use, like, the first initial or the full name. Um, it's a complicated issue, because there's a lot wrapped up in Harris. There's a lot of feelings there. And so we're trying to decide, do we want to go the whole hog with the name Mm -hmm. or do we want to use the initial or do we want to use Whittles? You know, there's a lot of... I mean, the baby's going to be named after Harris. It's just a matter of... Right, of what that means specifically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And now an awkward segue. I want to tell you guys about Beachbody On Demand. <laughs> it's an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Uh, Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. So you might be familiar with the Beachbody brands. There's P90X, Insanity. Um, those are like the the names that people might might know if they're not super, uh, if, they, if they don't know the whole suite of programs, but there's like a zillion, a zillion different programs. There's 21 day fix. So let's say you have... Uh, an event coming up and you want to get in shape fast, 21 day fix. And I'm going to tell you guys about how you can get a free trial membership for 30 days. So you could actually do the full 21 day fix within your free trial membership. There's T25. There's three week yoga retreat. There's a special program, um, for pregnant people, women, most likely. Uh, and I did it when I was pregnant. It's, there's different programs based on which trimester you're in. And I, I, prior to that, it had worked out pretty frequently, and I thought, this will be a piece of cake. It was not a piece of cake. It is very, very hard. Good, but hard. But the thing about Beachbody On Demand that's so great is it's accessible on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device, so you don't have to go to the gym, you don't have to schedule a class. It's great for people... Uh, who travel a lot for work because it's right there in your hotel room. You can just work out also great for people who don't want to have to go to the gym over 600 different workouts. You can sort by type of workout or favorite trainer. You need to give this service a try. Right now, my listeners can get a free trial membership when you text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030. You'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutrition information free. Just text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030. Okay, and we're back. Um, and now I forget exactly what we were talking about. Oh, oh you're saying the baby. Sad. Yeah, you're going oh, to name the baby.
1: Yeah, the baby. Fluffhead. Yes, um, how are you feeling about having another baby? I'm excited. I you know we were we were on the fence for a long time about whether we wanted to do it again because it was traumatic. Th- there was just so much, you know, there was Harris and then the hearing stuff, and genetically, we could have another baby that has hearing loss. We were not, we went through all this genetic testing and they never found a reason. Um, but is it for sure genetic? They say thing? it's genetic because there's no anatomical I cause. See. So they call whatever they can't find a reason for genetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they say the next baby has a 0 to 25% chance of having it. But so she's,
0: she has hearing aids and she hears fine now, right? Or normally? Totally. I
1: mean, she never shuts up. Like truly the most talkative child... She said to us in the car the other day when she was still three, I'm damaged because of you guys <laughs> like such a shit talker, <laughs> like truly, truly has a lot of spirit in her. It's just like I, I, I look back and I'm just like, man, you just really spent so much time worrying about stuff that was so useless. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even let her do special ed at her school. They wouldn't let her in because there was no deficit. You right. know, she's she's so amazing. I know everyone thinks their kid is amazing. But like, I really, you know, we we struggled so much and we worked so hard in the beginning. And I had so many fears about her. And she's just great. She's going to raise the kid. This is she's going to be a great mother <laughs> <laughs> for the baby. But, um, you know, if the baby has hearing loss, it's fine. I You know, I've come to I've I've come to terms with that. I've made peace with that. I know what to do. I passed a bill in Texas. That's amazing. <laughs> it was. It really was because those guys are assholes. And I I have never done anything harder than mm. that. But um, so you now a, at least it'll be covered. You
0: got a bill passed. So hearing aids and cochlear implants will be covered under insurance. Yes.
1: For children under 18. How long
0: did that take to get passed?
1: Six years in total. Wow. Yeah. Texas meets every two years for six months, the legislature. Mm-hmm uh and they uh hate children <laughs> and women people of color anybody other than really a white man is <laughs> really the texas way um so it was a challenge but i like i said I'm, I'm a doer and i needed somewhere to put a lot of my my rage and i sort of directed it at them um but now the hearing aids will be covered so if I have two kids and hearing aids fine. I think there's something nice, you know, Iris would be able to have a buddy and mm-hmm. you know. Whatever happens like there's this thing that kind of happens or has happened to me where I I can recognize my resilience now. It's like I can it's this weird thing where I'm like, "Oh, I can I, I can deal with whatever." Like I'm I'm equipped. Mm-hmm. Like it, I've lived through all this stuff that was terrible and I'm still here and it's going to be okay. You know? Um, so I'm really excited to have the baby. Um, I'm excited that it's a boy and I'm excited that Iris will have a sibling and, you know, I think it's going to be a good new chapter for us. Right. You know, it's like, it's been very Harris centric and death centric and grief and all, loss and, and, I'm like ready for some new life. (laughs) I think it's going to be good for my parents and all of us. Mm. Also terrible, like we were saying.
0: It's interesting in the book to watch how you and your parents all grieve in your separate ways. Completely.
1: Completely. Still to this day.
0: And you seem in the book very understanding of each person's, well, maybe a little frustrated by your dad being closed off. Yeah. But but ultimately understanding of each person's way of dealing with it at the time were you?
1: Yeah. I mean still to this day like I just you know um it's it's just hard and and I losing a child nobody should have to do that and I think as a human being Harris and I both I think had this a little bit. I really do think everyone can do what they want I just think that everyone is really struggling and it's hard to be a person and there's no right way to do anything it's like my dad frustrates me Mm -hmm. but I can't change who he is he's gonna grieve how he's gonna grieve and my mom frustrates me but like you know she lost her son so she can do what she wants I mean I, I can't I can't judge her for that. Um, and then I dealt with it, obviously, through writing the book, which, you know, I'm surprised that they were okay with it. I mean, they... Yeah, I was going to ask, <laughs> did they have any qualms? Um, Not really. Uh, my dad, I didn't even think was going to read it. I was very surprised that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't read it until very recently. Before I sent the draft in to my publisher I let my mom read it and I said speak now or forever hold your peace I don't want to say anything that's going to make you upset Mm -hmm. and (laughs) my mom is very southern just she is from Mississippi and she is she's just got that in her I don't know if y'all know any southern people but there's a way that things are done and there are things that we talk about and there are things that we don't talk about And even though I had written this whole book about my brother dying of a heroin overdose, she was mad that I was talking about my teen pregnancy. (laughs) That's the part, the three pages that pissed her off. Wow, We got in a huge fight about it. Huge. Didn't speak for a week. She was like, your daughter's going to read this someday. And I was like, awesome like the second she gets her period do you know what i'm gonna tell her that i had an abortion the second she does I was like that is something that she needs to know Mm -hmm. mom like i wish you would have talked to me more about sex i think that every kid should be talked to about this you know so we got we got past that but that was you know she was very concerned with my in-laws reading that and i was just like dude the book is about your son who had a heroin addiction and this is what you're mm-hmm. that's so, upset about. It's that's like so interesting. some weird psychological displacement or mm-hmm. something. Um, but I just think that's a Southern thing. I just think it's like, you know, my son can like be a heroin addict, but my daughter having premarital mm-hmm. sex, <laughs> it's just like very strange. Right. Um, but I felt like with that whole thing, like I'm not going to talk about all of Harris's shit and then not put mine in there. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. Like the, and, and it's relevant. It, I think it's relevant to the story, to why my dad, you know, he shuts down emotionally and I've seen him do that in multiple uh, circumstances, times in our lives. So yeah, I think we, we've done a pretty good job of letting everyone do what they need to do to get through it.
0: It was interesting how, how, um, much of a pivotal event getting pregnant young and having an abortion w- was for you. Huge. The way you describe it, it, like, it really sort of shifted the course of where you were headed.
1: I think so. I think it did. It, it made me feel really bad. <laughs> it made me understand consequences, mm-hmm. which is something I don't think Harris ever got. I think, um, you know, it's hard to say what would have happened, but but I did really kind of after that have this need to prove to my family that I was good and that I was not a terrible person mm. and that they didn't need to hate me. And I mean, I was so filled with shame. It was just so much. And for so long, I was ashamed of it. And I think that it I channeled that into work, wow. <laughs> which is like sort of funny, like, I'm, like, making this connection right now, Allison. You're a great psychiatrist. (laughs) Um, When I was dealing with the grief about Harris, I had to write it all down and work really hard. And when I was dealing with the grief around that, it was the same thing. I, like, became, like, the best student. I was cast in every play. I just was, like, overachieving, like, through my eyeballs. I just wanted to be the best at everything and prove that I was not a terrible person yeah
0: i'm wondering if some of that is what has lifted that you were talking about at the beginning that like now you're sort of liberated from this these are not your words but but like this feeling that every there's like someone
1: keeping track of everything you're doing yeah i really don't care about who's keeping track now it's it is very liberating It's like, I feel like I'm hitting this place where like women who are menopausal hit, right? you know, where they're like, I don't care anymore. I'm going to live the way I want. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I'm menopausal, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm like 20 years early Mm -hmm. on this epiphany that I don't give a shit about what anybody thinks about me. So that's so cool. Great. Yeah. That's great. And like, I'm like, well, see what I can do with this. Yeah. You know, and then like, what am I going to be when I'm menopausal? a puzzle? Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> like now I'm in my prime, you know, <laughs> like women in their 50s are like, I really feel like I'm really in touch with who I am. Like really coming into my own. Yeah, I'm coming yeah, into my
0: own. i my 60s. I've <laughs> never been happier. But they do say that. They do. Yeah. That is a thing. I, you hear it a lot. Could Harris withstand discomfort um you mean physically well but i think that that to me that's like an an addict thing is this like being uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions so physically emotionally like not knowing this is not me saying what he was like this is me talking more about like my understanding of addiction and 12 stepy kind of stuff um this, like, not know, not really learning how to sit with discomfort and having to find an outlet to get rid of it.
1: I think in that horrible porch conversation we had, you know, he also said something about how he doesn't know how to love. Because,
0: oh, right. He said he's like your dad. Because
1: my dad did that to him. He was really put in blame all over the place mm-hmm. in that conversation. Uh, but I do think he was he had trouble emotionally expressing where he was i think that he um he had a lot of um he had a lot of anxiety he had a lot of stuff that he masked mm-hmm. uh and it came out in his relationships with women and he would get really obsessive so i think he would spin around mentally but i I think that any discomfort turned into obsessive behavior mm-hmm. um, which i can I can also relate to.
0: Yeah, let's take a couple questions that people sent in over Twitter. There's an upbeat jingle
2: When we ask to send them in, they'll wonder and how you have been. So, thanks so much for answering these
0: questions from our fans. Micah would like to know who were some of his biggest comedy influences growing up?
1: Louis (laughs) C.K., hands down. Mitch Hedberg. Mm -hmm. Uh, He loved Sarah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but really, Louis was like the one that made him want to do comedy Mm -hmm. the most. So I'm kind of glad that he wasn't here to see all this stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, well you didn't have to see
0: your fallen idol. Mm Hmm. Uh, and then Zeke Gonzalez says, what's something she wishes people understood about loss and grief? When my dad <clears throat> excuse me, passed in a car accident, I really disliked it when people say everything happens
1: for a reason. Oh, God. I fucking hate that, too. Hate it. I love the name Zeke also. That's a great name. Um, the thing to understand is that it's so messy and all over the place and never ending and it's you you're never done it there's no end to it i'm three years in and i'm still not done um it changes constantly but i think so, making sense of it in that way is maddening to mm-hmm. me um making sense of it in everything everything happens everything for, happens for yeah. a reason I, there there is nothing that gets me angrier than everything happens for a reason and I feel like I used to be that person until shitty things happened. And then I was like, that is bullshit. Right. That is not true. I think really, I, I, I think completely the opposite. I think the world is chaos mm-hmm. and that we're spinning out of control and that nothing happens for a reason and that you have to like learn how to deal with that. Um, You know, and then like, the religious aspect of it where you know some people would say (sighs) he's in a better place (laughs) like i'm just like i'm jewish number one so i don't know what this better place is (laughs) that you speak of um but yeah i just think people need to understand that it's just it's painful and 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 i get that you don't know what to say and I and I, and I I empathize. It's hard to know what to say. I think the best thing that you can ever say to somebody is I love you and I'm here. And can I go get you groceries mm-hmm. or can I do something specific? Mm-hmm. Like don't just say, call me when you need me because they never will. Say, I'm gonna drop dinner off at five o'clock on your back porch so you don't even have to see me. That was the kindest thing that people did. When they would bring me food. <laughs> like a full meal with utensils and just put it on the porch so i didn't have to talk you know that is loving and people would go out of their way to do these specific things Mm -hmm. i think that's always really helpful because people who are grieving are a mess and they're not thinking about what they need they're not thinking about taking care of themselves especially in the beginning so being able to offer acts of service i think are were really helpful
0: Zeke also wants to know what's your favorite piece of art that Harris created.
1: Um, <laughs> that's hard. I mean, he's so he's so prolific. He did so many things. I mean, my favorite thing that Harris ever said was the th- the the thing that informed the title of the book, mm-hmm. which was that tweet that says let's stop finding a new witch of the week and burning them at the stake. We're all horrible and wonderful and figuring it out. I'm just like, man, that is some serious Buddha shit right there. That just speaks to so much. Um, But I was Harris's biggest fan. I mean, I, I, I love everything that he did. Their jokes. I mean, his jokes were genius. I just last night. I love
0: the, the one that you mentioned, uh, in the
1: beginning, which is I just blew a point two eight. His name was Frank. <laughs> I love that. I just that just flashed through my mind. Like that who that is a brilliant thing. I just blew and then what did he he had um Yeah, I mean and I can hear him saying them, you know, I can hear his his voice and his inflection saying it. Um yeah, there there was so much. He was He was a man who had lots of funny thoughts. (laughs) And I actually do put a lot of those in the book Mm -hmm. from stuff that was on his phone.
0: Uh, Let's do Just Me or Everyone. This is where people write in with things they think or do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone?
2: (laughs) Sometimes I ponder on Something I have thought or done Is it just me
0: or everyone? And I should mention, I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rosen is where you go. Um, if you're like, I like this, but I just need more. There's bonus content. There's different reward levels. All sorts of fun stuff. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay. Uh, Ariel Rollins Cohen says, I feel uncomfortable and a little concerned when I hear someone in a nearby bathroom stall breathing heavily, panting, or even groaning. Just me or everyone. I think that's everyone.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to like pinpoint that scenario like heavily but, yeah. groaning I don't think I've I've even experienced that can you think of a time where you've heard some heavy panting or groaning no but I remember one of
0: a deeply humiliating moment in college but not as humiliating as I had a friend like a, almost like a frenemy in college we broke up after freshman year because I was like because because there were the three there was three of us we mm-hmm. were all friends and then two of us over the summer were like she's really cruel and kind of mean let's not be friends with her anymore Mm -hmm. and then we had to uh we had to break up with her and it didn't go well she didn't take it well and we couldn't explain that like it's because you're kind of a crazy bitch right funny though we hate you yeah (laughs) yeah we just
1: want nothing to do
0: with you that's why (laughs) everything happens for a reason though. so you're gonna be fine So although what I'm about to share was a humiliating moment, it was just the tip of the iceberg of humiliating moments with her because this one didn't involve other people. But um, I just remember her commenting on like, wow, are you struggling in there? And it made me realize I was in, in in the college bathroom where there were like a bunch of stalls and there was no one else in there. But I think that I, in my own head, was just, it was as if I was, like, going to the bathroom in high school at home, and I hadn't been aware <laughs> that I was, there was some sound
1: effects happening. Right, right. So that was mortifying. I think bathroom noise in general is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. In general, like, it's just not a good place to be.
0: Although I'm sure you've heard this before, apparently in a men's room, people, they don't even suppress their farts. I'm sure they, they don't. They just fly. I'm Whereas sure, yeah. It, if you fart in, like, the restroom at Nordstrom, that <laughs> is mortifying. I find. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I like would if agree. something would slips agree. out, then it's like, oh, now I have to wait till everyone leaves. So yeah. I, I think everybody out. does that. Yeah. Everybody does that. Jessica Lee says, clean and pressed sheets make that first night of sleep in them in your own bed. The be oh, Wait. S- excuse me. Clean and pressed sheets make that first night of. S- oh, make that first night of sleep in them. Yeah. In- <laughs> They either make that first night of sleep in them in your own bed, they make for the best dreams ever. I'm so confused by this, <laughs> <laughs> but I think what she's saying is the first night of sleep on clean and pressed sheets is a great night. I don't press my sheets, Who I know is I, I was pressing
1: their sheets.
0: I, my mom told me at a certain point, she realized that she really prefers pressed sheets, so she's
1: started doing that. I don't even press my clothes, so I... nothing's getting pressed. Don't even own an iron. I don't think. Maybe I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, same. No. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I like fresh sheets. I guess. Right. Apparently, pressing them takes it to a whole other level. I've heard this, but I'm never gonna do it.
0: Yeah, because even if I have an iron, I don't have an ironing board, so that's not
1: happening. I have. I have a very like. Um, I- I'm-, I'm. I'm very obsessive about time and the time it's going to take to do things mm-hmm. and. Like, it just seems like the time it would take to iron your sheets, then you're just going to mess them up again. It's like how I feel about showering. Like, showering is frustrating me because mm-hmm. I have to, like, get wet and then dry again. I'm like, I could just stay dry. <laughs> you know? Like, I just, like, tasks that feel, like, futile. Yes. Or are, are, are don't make sense to me. Sunlit Cactus
0: says, the worst part about my flight being delayed isn't the waiting. It's continually being lied to with assurances that we will begin boarding or departing in just a few minutes. Yes, they do. I I feel like they do. Do they do that because they know if they were to tell you the truth, like it could be four hours. We have no idea. People would just freak out or leave the gate possibly. I mean,
1: air travel is the most frustrating event. I hate traveling. I really, truly do. I, I'm with you. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yes. I guess they have to do customer service. On some level, maybe that's their attempt to do that, to not be upfront, Because people, I mean, they're the worst, but then people also are the worst to them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like when you see how people are talking to those people, you just can't imagine they're getting paid enough to deal with that shit.
2: I feel like this relates to your theory about accepting life's totally chaos and lack of control because i think that most people can't do that yeah so if you say to them it's gonna be here it's gonna be here in 50 minutes people go okay good they yeah. want to hear that but if you told them
1: get yeah. comfortable
2: you're gonna be here for four hours people would go crazy thinking i can't do anything about it totally but i think the for me, the better way to go is just just tell me it's gonna be four hours and then uh, yeah, I can just be done it's with the it.
0: every 15, like it'll be just be 15 more right, minutes. Right, like yeah. toying it in yeah. front of
2: you and then yanking it away, yeah. that seems crazy.
0: Can I just do a
1: quick Please. air travel tale? Yes. Just real quick.
0: It doesn't even have to be
1: quick. Okay, we went to Hawaii with my entire family, my husband's family, in December, and it was a nightmare in many ways for many reasons, one of which is that my daughter had lice. I mean, like just the worst. Anyway, the cherry on top was we were going to the airport to leave Hawaii. And I didn't get a notification to check into the flight. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's weird. So I tried to search for it online. Couldn't find it. Called. The airline had closed. What? Closed. (laughs) That's so unfortunate. Gone bankrupt, shut down. And United, the wonderful United, who always does the best job at customer service. I know this is shocking to you. They neglected to let us know. So we had no (laughs) flight to get back to the states like just stranded in hawaii you know i mean that is one of those things i'm talking about it's like i expect nothing to go right you know that takes it to a whole new level (laughs) that really tests my new like (laughs) worldview so what ended up happening are you there right now yeah i'm in hawaii you guys (laughs) see now (laughs) i'm very tan yeah i live in hawaii now um what happened was my husband who has raised his voice maybe like once in our entire marriage like he is the chillest dude that's ever lived grabbed the phone out of my hand and was like what the fuck and just went total straight white male on them like and it worked which was also infuriating because mm-hmm. like when i was trying to talk to them kindly and with patience i wasn't getting anywhere we were just talking about this on another episode of the show the line between
0: like what's assertive what's jerky yep. and do you some times need to be a jerk to get results and like that does not come naturally to me at all whereas some of the stories that so i do there's two versions of this show there's the one-on-one and then i have a panel version it was the panel version and some of the the guys were talking about sort of raising their voices a bit and like but but they didn't see that as jerky they just see that as like being assertive
1: You know, in our relationship, I'm the one who's always going to raise my voice. Mike is never going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really like shocking that he had been taken to this level like of of masculinity, you know, like Cussing at somebody. I've never heard him do that. It was crazy. But like what was shocking is that it got results, which then pissed me off. I'm like, wait a minute. So a guy got on the phone with you and said, fuck. And then now you're putting us on a flight that you said didn't exist when I spoke to you. Um, But anyway, we ended up like getting another flight and we were with my three-year-old and we had to like, like the flight left at nine. We transferred on in Denver at three in the morning, you know, like my poor kid. I was just like, this is a nightmare and hashtag never again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a moment in the book where... Uh, Harris says that you went ham and you're like, what's a ham? <laughs> I have been wondering, what does it mean? So I'm so happy that I know now because I didn't know. Oh my gosh, isn't that funny? What is it? Hard as a motherfucker. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew in context, but I, the whole time I've been like, what does going ham mean? Is I know, a sports and he was reference? so
1: mad at me. He's like, how do you not know that? I was like, how do you? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't I guess I'm not 15. I don't right. know. Um, But Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my 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 husband went ham in that story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, another fart related JMO. Heidi says I don't need to fart all day at work, then get in my car to go home and <laughs> fart the whole way there and all evening. What? <laughs> this that's not me, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> Is she saying? she has to fart all day and all
1: night? I don't she's understand.
0: saying she, do, she doesn't need to fart. Like she'll be at work all day and not need to fart. And then just the second she gets in the car, it's constant farts. <laughs> and all evening, too.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Maybe she's like, has done mind control on her right. on her butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Kay says, when I order
0: something fun for myself online, I try to forget about it, so I'll be surprised and extra happy when it arrives. I don't do that. I also feel like I don't – it's usually not fun stuff. It's usually like diapers or right. a formula or right. just – now it's just household stuff. For sure. All of which I get on Amazon, which I love because it makes it so easy, but it's never like, oh, yay. No, it's just what kind of boring thing am I going to open up?
1: Yeah. I'm like trying to think of the last time I ordered fun stuff. What does fun stuff even mean? Shoes, clothes, clothes. I did recently order a shit ton of maternity clothes for the Seth Meyers thing Mm -hmm. because I was like, yo, (laughs) I have to look like a person on this show. (laughs) And that's really hard when you're pregnant to Mm -hmm. do or otherwise for me. Um
0: well yeah, you mentioned going to the Emmys and having to go out and, and get it. I was thinking like if I had to go to the Emmys, I don't know what I would do. It was
1: so stressful. Yeah. It, getting dressed is very stressful.
0: Same. Really stressful. Wait, whether
1: you're pregnant or not. Yeah.
0: Same. Okay. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. before the show before we started taping, we were talking a little bit about how we're probably the same person. Yeah. Yeah i i'm very much the whole clothing all of that i don't want shopping makes me
1: nervous i hate shopping yes hate it let's never go shopping together it's terrible like i and what happened with this is that i had i had like and my mom is good at shopping so she'll take me even this has like stayed the same in our relationship since i was like 10 she'll be like you don't look as good as you could let's go shopping you know and then even now at 37, mm-hmm. she's like, I need to help you, you know, like, and so we found a dress that worked. And then a month later when I had to go on the show, it didn't fit anymore. Mm. So I suddenly had to like get another dress and it was the most stressful thing ever. Um, And we did end up going shopping and my daughter found me these great shoes and my mom found me this dress <laughs> like they both did it together. Oh, that's so cute. Um, But yeah, I do think we are the same person mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I also had looked at your Instagram and saw that you... Looked at a pregnancy test and then got five other pregnancy tests. Oh yeah, I took
0: yes. Um, no, I no more than five though. I when I all got of them, yeah, I, I when I got my first positive pregnancy test, yes. I went out and spent one hundred and thirty dollars on more pregnancy tests. I did the same exact. Did you really
1: thing? <laughs> um, and then I made my husband pee on one to Just compare right. it to mine because I didn't believe that That's it was the true. kind of thing I would do, and I was drunk too, and so I forgot to pee on the stick initially and then i just (laughs) dunked it into the toilet water and then it said pregnant but i was like wow i thought that would be too diluted no it did but then i was like because i was wasted i was like oh toilet water tests positive for pregnancy let's go get more (laughs) it was like i was really out of my mind um but yeah i I related to that and then your, your your junk basket Oh yeah, the
0: overflowing wicker basket of girl. I feel you. And also in your book, you talk about going insane. uh, My term, not yours. No, no, choosing the nursery wallpaper. I've talked about this a lot on the show. My inability to make small decisions. Yep. Um, it's really, really has to do with it. It's like it comes out the most when I'm trying to buy furniture. That's when I really, really like make a whole
1: project out of it. It's a huge commitment. Um, what's funny is I started spiraling down that wallpaper rabbit hole again with this current child Mm -hmm. that's in my stomach. And at some point I was like, this is stupid and I'm not going to get any Mm -hmm. wallpaper. Look at your new worldview. And I shut every window down and I was like, I may paint the walls and you know what I may do? Not paint the walls. (laughs) I was just like. He's going to have a place to sleep regardless. Wow. I know. That's it was so It was uh it was crazy. Thank you so much, audience. <laughs> I'm very impressed by this. I didn't know the old you, but I'm impressed by this new you. I, I mean, you know, I just was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm not I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it. And then I felt very liberated. Look at that. <laughs> Sooner
0: Magic says, I never trust frozen pizza instructions to place directly <laughs> on rack and always use a pizza stone or pan. I'm too paranoid it will fall through and make a mess. <laughs> um, I rarely even cook in the oven, but if I did, yeah, I don't think I'd be cool with just placing it right on the rack because there's all the cheese that could just get all over everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I can't even remember the last time I made a frozen pizza. Mm-mm. I I don't know what I would do. I will say that my baked potato game shifted at some point along the way, and I was told to place the potatoes directly on the rack and not wrap them in foil. Holy shit, it takes it to a whole new level. I highly recommend taking the potatoes, rubbing them in olive oil and salt, and then it makes them crispy Mm -hmm. on the outside, and then it's really soft in the inside. It's really good. It's changed my so the life. The whole thing was just the tinfoil industry, yeah, trying to push their foil. Because when you on have the foil, it makes it sort of m- mushy. Yeah, mushy and like it's wet in there.
0: My memory of frozen pizza—I haven't had frozen pizza, I think, since I was a kid. But my memory is that it just was never that good. Is no. that still the case, Jeff? Do you eat frozen pizza?
2: I sometimes eat frozen pizza. It's it's better than it used to be. Okay,
0: because it used to not be good.
2: No, it, like in the 70s, it was bad. Mm-hmm. There was like Elio's pizza and Tortino's and all that. And they weren't great. But they're they're pretty good frozen pizzas now. All right. Yeah.
0: Robert Paulson says... Always rinse my dog's bowl out before refilling, even though if given the chance, he will drink out of the toilet. P.S. His name is Mr. Darcy. Please give him a shout out as he is a loyal listener. Thanks, Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I do the same thing. Like I, I always try to make sure that Wendy has fresh water, but her favorite water to drink is puddles outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same. Andrew Ant says, oh, another dog one. Is it just me or does every small dog owner get a sick joy out of watching them try to navigate three inches of snow trying to sniff out a place to pee? Um. Well, there's no snow around here, so I haven't really seen this.
1: Nope. I'm also in
0: Houston, so we yeah, do deal with snow. We don't know. But I am entertained watching Wendy do her, like, she does this. She's kind of OCD. She does like a crazy circling yep. before she goes poo. So does my dog. and it, But it's like she'll circle and then she'll decide that place is no good and then she'll have to find a new place and it's very frenetic and entertaining. Yeah. My dog does the same thing. I think we have, we have the same dogs. dogs. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, Mary says, occasionally... <laughs> Occasionally think it's a good idea to turn on my cell phone ringer, but after approximately three audible notifications, I immediately want out. Yes, I tend to have my phone on silent always. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I turn it on, I guess, if I know I'm expecting something. Like if I know I'm going to get a phone call or I'm waiting on an email or something, I'll turn it on. But for the most part... I've never turned on the email notifications maybe
0: I should but I feel like I just constantly be like oh spam from this store from
1: that store you can uh tell it how often you want it to check oh so it can be like every hour
0: maybe I'll do that
1: but I think that drains battery right so maybe don't all right this has been a roller coaster ride (laughs) maybe I won't (laughs) maybe don't I think I
0: won't I mean do what you want Stephanie, it was so lovely having you on the show. Thank you for fitting this into your schedule. I know you're not in town for very often. Everyone, you need you need to read this book. Go out and get Everything is Horrible and Wonderful by Stephanie Whittles-Walks. Um, And I will link to it on Amazon. But you tell everyone, pl- plug all your stuff. Tell everyone where to go and what to buy and whatnot.
1: No, th- you did a great job. They they have it uh, uh, on Amazon. That is where people buy things. I did get somebody that was like, can I buy this somewhere other than Amazon because they're evil? And I was like, I applaud you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to shop on Amazon. But I applaud that you are putting your money where your mouth is. And I hate the NRA also. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot that today, Yeah, well, when, th- when this airs, it won't be the day
0: that we're supposed to not be. Right. Shopping on, boycotting on Amazon. Amazon.
1: Yeah. But listen, diapers are needed. And when I had a baby, I just, they saved, they saved me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so now I'm basically plugging Amazon. <laughs> this is what I'm doing now. Right. Uh, yeah. So you can find, you can find me on Twitter at Whittle Stephanie. Um, and the book is linked there as well. And then I have a parenting podcast called Hands Off Parents um, that we've done now for two years which is shocking. Um, so if you want to feel better about all the choices you make, you can listen to that. Um, that's all.
0: And because I know people are going to wonder, you
1: mentioned that you do voices for animation. Yeah. Like what? what? Uh, so this is a fun fact. The largest studio for English dubs of Japanese animation films and TV shows is in Houston. Oh, wow. So I basically take Japanese characters and do English you know the English versions of, of them I've done hundreds of shows if if you google Stephanie Whittles it's all anime stuff that's really cool yeah
0: and if people want to know more about the Harris Whittles
1: scholarship fund where is there a place they could go for that um I can post the link for that it's sort of a weird it's basically HSPVA friends is the organization mm-hmm. and um they should have a link on that page it's called the Harris Whittles fund okay great Jeff, where do we go to find you?
2: You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And a quick callback, sorry, to the JMO about the Amazon ordering mm-hmm. uh, when you order something exciting. When I order something really mundane, this is a fun thing that I do, is that I will send a gift note to myself <laughs> with it. And then I you will forget about that. Uh-huh. And so then it shows up two or three days later and it says, hey, Jeff, here's 12 rolls of toilet paper. Poops ahoy. Love, Jeff. Enjoy. <laughs> oh. That's that fun. Is,
1: that's a fun thing to do. Yeah, I like to do that. What a beautiful thing. It's that fun. is that is getting the best out of life. It
2: yeah. is. It's really free money.
1: For real? <laughs> For it's like, real?
2: It's like being able to tickle yourself somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like a way home because you forget two I days love later. It. I love it thank I feel
0: you like I need to do that. Um, follow me on Twitter at allison rosen go to Rosen dot com to find out all the other um, look i 'm just not going to list all my social media stuff you guys it 's everywhere but i 'm going to list a little bit of it. Allison <laughs> Rosen on Instagram <laughs> if you want to send in it just me or everyone, send that to a r i y n b f on twitter use the has use the hashtag jmoe for just me or everyone um, ringtones and t-shirts and whatnot at alisonrosen.com and if you like what you're hearing subscribe itunes.com slash alisonrosen is where you go leave a nice review as well if, you know if you're so inclined thank you again it was wonderful meeting
1: you <laughs> thank you I, it was truly wonderful meeting you as well
0: thank you yeah. listeners thank you for listening I love you goodbye
2: hey do you know about the alison rosen show